If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com it. It is I, Numator 479. According to our studies of your puny mammalian race, we discovered you like very good coffee. And while it is our evolutionary purpose to cause you psychic torment, we want you awake and vivacious to give it. So try our new blend from Spring Hill Jack Coffee, reptilian in the morning. Our proprietary blend of lightly roasted cocayo husks will have you immediately energized upon emerging from the pain cloaca with all your slippery new eggs. Thanks, honey. I'm cold-blooded. Mmm. Eggs to Spring Hill Jack and last podcast on the left. I'm ready to get out there and eat some babies. Get out of the way, Hillary Clinton. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Oh, get the last eye on my teeth. Oh. <laughs> it's Ricardo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. God. Ricardo, eh? Yeah. Nice. Oh. Wow. Stringy fucker. <laughs> I didn't understand, honestly. He looked hot with clothes on. That's the thing with Ricardo. I was looking at him before, right? Obviously, we got on the plane. I'm looking at this guy and I was like, gee, isn't this guy a dish? Yeah. Right? They're all pretty hot. They, they are. They're hot guys, yeah. Yeah, there was a hot group of dudes. Yeah, and that's kind of nice, honestly. If you're faced with having to eat a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. I think it's nice if they're all hot. Yeah, especially yeah. with the one chick, you know, like. Because then you got, save her for last, like she's dessert. Yeah, well, she got to, like, look at all those dudes, you know, for a long time. That is really Even nice. Even though her husband mm-hmm. was next to her, you know, I'm sure she rubbed a couple out to some of the other dudes. Yeah, they were rubbing a plenty of, everyone was rubbing them out up on the fucking Andes. <laughs> I everyone don't know. Just rubbing them out. What else would you do? Smoke. Yeah. Yeah, smoke. But yeah. they were, they had to have been beaten off, right? I would have. I, I mean, they were a bunch of guys, like, 18 to 25, there's 27. No, there's no way they weren't. They do, dudes at that age, do it at parties anyway. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, guys jerk off in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You can jerk off on a mountain. Yeah. yeah. I'm Every- certain there's many people who've jerked off on a mountain. It probably guess- takes a lot of energy. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy, but the friction will warm you up. And you're making food. Welcome yeah. to Last Podcast in the Last <laughs> and Gentlemen. My name's Marcus Parks. I'm here with Henry Zabrowski. I know for a fact 
that no matter how snow-packed an environment I am stuck in, eventually I'm going to jay off. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing. The only thing you can do is you can just go behind the fuselage. You can't do it in the fuselage. You can't do it out in the open. They were doing all kinds of shit in the fuselage. Man. They were mostly shitting in the fuselage. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happens in the fuselage stays in the fuselage. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so when we last left our survivors in the Andes, 27 people were still alive, and they'd just begun to consume human flesh for survival. Additionally, they had just heard on their transistor radio that the Chilean government had called off the search to find at least the wreckage of the plane. I actually got some good responses to questions I asked last week. Mm-hmm. about oh, yeah. uh, Some of them more scary than others. Uh, one is also, you don't get sick from drinking blood. Oh. Yeah. According to a listener, a veterinarian, this is a talking about, they learned oh, this. Oh, cool. Yeah, fact. let's take fucking health advice from the vet. I yeah. do. I believe you. He drinks dog blood all the time. No, this came from a <laughs> Holocaust survivor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so my, my father, according to an email, my father worked with an older guy who had once worked with an even older guy that had survived. <laughs> Living in a Nazi concentration camp by drinking Nazi horse blood. He was alive for thousands of years. Thousands. Couldn't see light. Yes. <laughs> you choose wisely. Uh, you see, he was a veterinarian, and he kept his job as a prisoner taking care of the Nazis' horses. And when he had the chance, he would tap it in one of them with a needle, drain a cup to drink on the spot, and another cup to sneak back to his family if he could risk it at the time. Horses have loads of blood. So he was able to they supplement really his oh, diet yeah, blood for a bag. Long Like time. I had a horse when I was growing up called Blood Bag. Love that horse. Love mm, the big man. sloppy Blood Bag horse. <laughs> Just put a fucking keg spigot in it. Yeah. To <laughs> this one's tapped. It's like a dead horse on the ground. Never tap a dead horse. So with no other choice, the survivors were starting to accept that if any of them ever wanted to get off of that mountain alive, they would have to figure out a way to do it all by themselves. Yeah, man. And I do want to stress, these guys, I mean, we joked about it. These are all dudes between 18 and 27. Yeah, Like, yeah. they're young kids. I mean, they're, you know, soldier age. Yeah. But still. But, but if they were in their 30s, they probably would have died. Well, they're strong yes, as hell. Absolutely. I agree. I think that they were ready. They, they did not see this as we're all going to die here. No. A lot of those guys really were like, no, we're going to we're gonna live. We're going to make it work, as you can see, because they made it work for two fucking months mm-hmm. like they were Frosty the Snowman. That's how delusional a young man is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem they had, though, is that their food source, dead bodies, that was finite. Yeah. And the only way to obtain more food was if more people died. That's what's hard. This, of course, created more urgency because if people started dying of starvation, the meat left behind would be meager, to say the least. That's, that's what I'm saying about Ricardo. Well, that's what the guys in, uh, what is it? That's the guys in the uh, Essex had to deal with. Yes. Is that everyone would die from starvation, but then once they died, there would be hardly anything on their bones left to eat. Now, and then what they ate was not nourishing. You gotta yeah. crack the bones. Mm-hmm. You gotta get the marrow out the bones. It's actually very difficult to snap human bones when you yourself are dying of starvation. Yeah. It's so easy until it's hard. Now, that's what I've always said. <laughs> the number of dead bodies at their disposal, however, would nearly double in a matter of minutes. That's because when you're in the Andes, if the cold doesn't get you, the avalanche is well. This is another reason why I go to hot climates. <laughs> yeah. I go, I like to vacation when it's warm, sunny. You know what I mean? I like an all-inclusive. Mm-hmm. I had some friends like say we're gonna do a ski trip. No, and I'm just like, first of all, this is expensive. You and I Second talked about this. I'm a lodge boy. Mm-hmm. All of our dudes, they were all like, "Oh, we could go skiing." It's me like, dude, you haven't jumped 
in 10 years. You're not going to automatically be an expert skier. You're 39 years old. You're just going to learn how to ski. You're going to die out there. We both said it. We're like, see at the lodge. Mm -hmm. I will yeah. be in the fucking hot tub getting fucking hammered, drinking spiked eggnog. Yeah. You do whatever you want. Someone's got to cook the chili. Somebody has to. And that's you because your chili is... Fantastic. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> really, very, very good. Oh, I also got some information about piloting yeah. and how to get Which lost. Which is terrifying. That was terrifying. It is. It's mostly like back in the day. Now, it's, I got confirmed from a, I got a, a, uh, I got a message from one of our, uh, a pilot, a captain from one of our favorite airlines. Mm -hmm. He said that. He said a favorite amongst you. Ah. And he said that um, it's basically completely impossible to get. Uh, lost nowadays. It's completely impossible. Yeah. You have an iPad with the geolocating thing on it. There's like, you're getting pinged five different ways. It's very, it's almost, it's literally impossible to lose an airplane. But at the time, it was not. It was just radio. Like all they had was these radio signals. Everything was really done by, yes, they had pre approved plans, but if you jump off the plan, you're fucked. But like a couple of degrees because they use yeah. something called like dead reckoning. Yes. And if you got like a couple of degrees off, like if the wind blew you off and you were and you just got on the wrong bearing, then, yeah, you could end up like hundreds of miles from where you wanted to be. That's cool. And you also would be uh, low on fuel and just praying to God that you were near an airport or near your destination. Yeah, this is from a this is a letter from a pilot. You have to account for crosswinds at altitude, which creates a discrepancy between your course and your heading. The winds also change your true airspeed from your ground speed, which is also different from your indicated airspeed. Then you factor in your true altitude from your absolute altitude, accounting for winds aloft reports. It's delicate and precise math using dated equipment where even the decimals matter. All of this while being bumped around in turbulence. All of a sudden you got a bunch of people screaming behind you, all these kids screaming behind you. You're looking around, figuring out how to shit, and then, you know, yada, 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 you're lost in the air, everybody's dead, you're eating your cousin. <laughs> See, I think this guy's a liar, because he didn't start it by saying, this is your pilot speaking. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't my pilot. <laughs> As I said, there were 27 people still alive by day 17. The last of the holdouts had finally begun to eat at least a little human flesh, justifying it by saying that drawing life from their friends was like drawing spiritual strength from the body of Christ when they took communion. Yes, that's why I ate. We do uh, HelloFresh for four, and I completed the loop last night. I ate the entire family's worth because... I was like I was drawing spiritual strength from our sponsors. From the body of yeah, from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> I always do. But while that's what the holdouts said, it was more likely that the urge could no longer be resisted after the holdouts finally smelled flesh cooking. Yeah, dude. The grill. Yeah. yeah. That's what brought him back. Bobby Flay. <laughs> <laughs> now, while there was little wood for fires, the survivors found some wooden Coca-Cola crates in the luggage compartment. Those were broken up and used to actually cook some of the flesh, which immeasurably improved the flavor from absolutely revolting to something similar to soft beef. Mm. Soft beef. My favorite. <laughs> no chew, no problem. Whiz wit, please. <laughs> the smell was also intoxicating. Oh, God. And the scent of cooking meat, no matter what that meat was, made the experience bearable for the holdouts. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just that you know. Like, cause you hadn't smelled food mm -hmm. in so long, yeah. and they, they always they talk about it. We've had a couple of these instances where we've talked about, well, a pot. What is it? Ter the term? Long pig? Not cannibalism. Legal cannibalism. anthropophagy. Anthropophagy. Yeah, and so like you, 
smell that fucking mm, yum 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 umami of your brother's fucking dick. They don't. They didn't. No, no brothers. They didn't do the dicks. They didn't do the dicks, and nobody <laughs> ate anybody else's brother. There's no dicks. There's no brothers. You should have. <laughs> I'm just having fun here. Yeah. I mean, the I'm dicks, celebrating life. It's all meat. <laughs> no, dicks are cartilage. You yeah. Like it. Yeah. You don't want to eat a dick. Really? No. No. no you no. want to suck a dick. Oh, I didn't. Now, thank you. <laughs> but once the wood was gone, those holdouts were finally over the anthropophagy hump. So they were able to choke down raw flesh when they absolutely needed to, although none of them did so with as much gusto as the ones who had been doing it from the beginning. You know, now that I'm cooking this, I really appreciate if you could eat this with some gusto. Okay? <laughs> uh, I hit a perfect medium rare on Arturo. Imagine someone sending it back. Yeah, you'd be like, <laughs> not for me. Mm-mm. Now, when they ate it raw, did they chew it or did they just swallow it? They usually think? just swallowed it. Yeah. Uh, although sometimes they did, once the chunks got bigger, at the very beginning, like when they just cut off the raw strips, they just swallow it. But remember the last time the expedition that we talked about? Yeah. Uh, the uh, first expedition out, the first serious expedition out, when one of the guys, his teeth started getting loose from the frostbite, one of the other guys, remember, had to yeah. chew the human flesh and baby bird it for That's him. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Not good. Now, if you'll remember, speaking of that last expedition, that was more of a test to see how far they could get. And that ended with three survivors damn near dying in just their first night out in the elements. But Nando Parado, the man whose mother and sister had died in the crash, he desperately wanted to get off the mountain so his father would only have to mourn two family members instead of three. Fuck you, mountain! <laughs> Actually, there is a fuck you mountain point, and it's incredible. Yeah, Nando is... Again, we, I like him. Uh, he's... Yeah probably one of my favorite heroes in any story we've covered yep. at last podcast on the left. Because he starts by fucking cracking his head open. Yeah, yeah dude. He That's started, how whole thing starts. He started dead. Yeah. yeah. And now he's the most alive. It's a true hero story. He's alive! Yeah. <laughs> Nando also knew that even though there were certainly some brave souls on that mountain, there wasn't anyone else there with the will that was necessary to lead such an expedition. Sometimes or, it takes a Nando. <laughs> or at least that's what Nando thought. But from what Roberto Canessa theorizes, Nando was probably anxious to get off the mountain because the longer they were out there, the more likely it was that they were going to have to eat the bodies of Nando's sister and mother. He would never, though. He would not have. He would have starved to death. Yeah, he would starve to death. But everyone else, he would not. But he would not deny everyone else life. I honestly, I'm I'm with Nando. I'm yeah. walking off this fucking mountain. Yeah, I'm getting off the mountain. Yeah. I don't care if I die out there, but I'm dying lower on the mountain then we are dying here. True, but there's all, you also got to do it smartly. Yeah. And that's where Roberto came in. And you got to go up to go down. Yeah. I'm going sideways. <laughs> I'm going up, I don't know out, if you know down. how mountains work. I'm looking at the sun. <laughs> I'm going away from the mountain. Well, Nando began running through a potential list of partners and settled on Roberto Canessa because Roberto was one of the most intelligent and resourceful people on the mountain. But he was like sarcastic. He was sarcastic. He was a little bit gruff. But you, you know. named that. Yeah. Yeah, he was the he you was more of the cynic. asshole of the group. He was kind of the taskmaster. Yeah. You know? And so Nando and Roberto began planning. And the final group for a rescue expedition, which included Adolfo Strouch and another guy named Numa, was decided upon. Whoa. Yeah. Like the, the, the dance. Yeah. What dance? The Numa Numa dance. <laughs> I, could you please show us? <laughs> Dude, you remember yeah. the Numa Numa dance? Numa Do we? Are we going to stop for the Numa Numa dance? I think we fucking have to, dude. You know the Numa Numa dance. Do I, is it like similar to the Macarena? Numa Numa. Ah, 
one. It's a new one. Hey, Wait, here we go. Wait, one second. My love. My love. And he's just been like, we cannot die on this mountain. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot die. My love. We must My go back to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> the spirits were actually relatively high. See? Partly because they finally had a semblance of a plan and partly because no one had died in about a week. Okay, see this triangle here? That's the mountain. <laughs> we're near the top of the triangle. Our goal is... Off the triangle. <laughs> guys got it? Yep. That easy. Name's Nando. Don't fucking forget it. Don't eat my sister. No one even look at me. Well, in fact, Roberto was so jazzed that he shot up in his sleep one night and told everyone he'd have them home by Christmas, which was a promise he was actually able to keep for most of them. Most of them. For the rest, though, rescue would never come, as Mother Nature was not quite through with the survivors of the Fairchild. No mother is. That bitch. Now, on the night of October 29th, the 27 survivors were sleeping in their designated spots in the cabin. Two of them, Diego Storm and Roy Harley, couldn't sleep. Diego Storm is my favorite name in this entire thing. It's, it's incredible. It's like, Yeah, he looks like he, he does the weather out of Caracas. <laughs> <laughs> so they switched spots, switched sleeping spots, hoping it would help. But while it worked for Diego, Roy was still awake that night. Likewise, Adolfo Strauch and Coche Inciarte were awake as well, chatting. You think that we would ruin the vibe of the whole group if we started kissing? <laughs> Come, Coche. Teach me how to love again. Do you think they did that and, like, kept it secret, but, like, talked yeah. about eating people and kept that a secret? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> We could talk about the uh, the anthropophagy as much as we want, but none of the kissing and the hugging. <laughs> well, there was a lot of hugging. Yeah, of course, because they had they had to in order to survive. I'm being yeah. said, not just uh, not all men trapped in a fuselage don't immediately turn gay. Just no. the gay ones. But they were talking. This months. Yeah, who knows? No, who knows? But he, actually, I I don't think they kissed. I don't. I think don't they think they kissed. That was a dramatization. Yes. Mm -hmm. But even though all three were awake. None of them heard the coming of the avalanche until the very last second. Now, if you... Avalanches, I, I, I read into this as well. It's a very frightening as well. One of the most frightening and powerful uh, forces of nature in existence. Completely unstoppable. It'll rip yeah. your arms off. Um, sounds like a stampede of horses mm -hmm. is what they said. The, the beginnings of it, just like, as it comes out, and it's like, and you know it's just not a good story. You, you're already in an abandoned fuselage of a plane. Yeah, yeah. Any so noise like, is bad. It's not good. Except Unless for the noise a, of a plane. That's the good sound. <laughs> yeah. Now, Roy did hear the sound of metal falling to the ground. And when he felt a faint vibration, he leapt upward in surprise. At that very moment, the makeshift wall of suitcases came bursting into the fuselage as the wall of snow and ice buried nearly everyone in an instant. Now, since Roy had jumped, he was only buried up to his waist. This quite possibly saved the lives of everyone who eventually survived. Just think about that fucking shit, about it. A little inconsequential movement yeah. is what yeah. saved everyone. Some dude going, whoop, ah! As Robert Canessa put it, the snow instantly became thick as cement once it enveloped us. Oh my God, this fucking sketchy. I hate this shit, man. Yeah. See, once the snow from an avalanche settles, the weight is such that the victim is unable to move even their fingers. Now you're just floating in air, essentially. You're stuck in a 3D, 4D space yeah. of snow, like you're, and you're just like, yep, it's carbonite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Now, at first, the warm breath around your mouth causes the snow to melt, which creates a temporary air pocket. Cool. Quickly, though, that melted snow freezes again and forms a capsule of ice around the buried victim's head. Not cool. This capsule of ice <laughs> is known to rescue workers as the death mask mm. because once all that air is turned to carbon monoxide, the victim asphyxiates and dies. Very scary. Roy Harley, however, who Roy got kind of a bad rap in the book and in the movie. Because uh, they had to make a villain from the inside, right? For the films, they well, had to do something. He wasn't necessarily the villain in the films. He was just, he was portrayed as a bit of a worm. Mm. Uh, and Roberto Canessa also later apologized for how he portrayed Roy Harley when he was talking to the author of Alive when he was given those first interviews. I think he, he was, was hangry yeah, at yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I, I treated Roy unfairly. Roy actually, like, he was very, Roy what did act very bravely at moments it's just that Roy was fucking 18 yeah. and his he lost his shit eventually he just emotionally physically you know mentally he was traumatized, he sure was traumatized. super annoying but like who wouldn't be he yeah. was basically a child yeah but he prevented at least some of the survivors from having to endure this awful death mask death after the avalanche had settled Roy saw hands sticking out of the snow, so he got to work digging in those spots. Oh, my God. Three survivors were quickly freed and began to help dig as well, but they soon discovered that not everyone was going to survive this new disaster. Yeah, because this is disaster, like, number five. Yeah. As far as Nando Parado went, he was buried deep, but he'd remembered reading an article in Reader's Digest about avalanches that said one could survive under the snow by taking small, shallow breaths. Yeah. He did this for several minutes. But just as he was about to die and a sense of peace overtook him that it was finally over, his face was uncovered and he was pulled back into the land of the living amidst the chaos and anguish that was starting to settle in. Carlitos Paez, for example, was dug out from his snowy grave quite quickly. But when he went to dig for his two closest friends, he found that both were dead, including the funny guy, Coco. And everybody shits on the funny guy. Until you find his corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, Coco was kind of essential. Yeah, did I hate his impersonation of Roberto? Absolutely. But it was also anti-comedy. He was doing it because it annoyed me. He should have known it was coming because Coco beware. <laughs> Coco beware. Yeah, yeah, beware of the avalanche. Coco. Who's Coco beware? But why is Coco beware? You never heard of Coco beware? No, who's no. that? Isn't he a wrestler? You're talking to the wrong crowd here, friend. Oh, I thought it was a, it was like a wrestler from Coco, the 80s. I don't know. Actually, yeah, Coco Beware. Well, yeah. he had a parrot. Yeah. A perfect joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, whether someone lived or died depended entirely upon where they were in the fuselage that night. Roy had only survived because he'd switched spots, and the two survivors whose turn it was to sleep next to the suitcase wall were buried beyond immediate rescue I mean, as soon as that snow came in. I bet you, because also you can literally, your body could be torn apart by an avalanche. No. Like you could just, you just be dead no. just from the sheer force of it. It's so powerful. It's like jumping from a, a very large height and hitting a fucking uh, body of water. You could be a mile away and get killed by an avalanche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two others, however, got trapped under the curved door of the airplane, so they had enough air to survive for nearly 10 minutes before they were uncovered, completely by chance. But at the same time, survival also came down to where a survivor arbitrarily decided to dig. While Nando Parado was freed, the two people on either side of him, immediately to his left and right, 
They died simply because someone decided to dig on the very spot where Nando was trapped. If they would have dug one foot to the left, they would have found another person. One foot to the right, they would have found another. That's all it was. And And if they would have dug up one of the other ones, they all would have died because Nando fucking saved everyone's life. Exactly. But you also like think about being those guys floating next to Nando, definitely hearing him get survived. Like they're literally, they're saving him. Yeah. And now you're like, I'm next. And then it doesn't happen. Nope. Another problem is that while you were digging for one person, that snow had to go somewhere. So you could very possibly pile the snow that you're digging out on the body of somebody else. And that person doesn't get saved because they're now under a larger pile of snow. Perhaps the most tragic death, though, at least as far as who I was attached to the most, was Enrique Platero. Yeah, inside out, man. Yeah. Enrique was the guy whose guts had been pulled out of his body on the first day. Oh, yeah. His stomach wound had even healed. Like he had tucked it back in. His stomach wound is healed. He was doing fine. He died in the avalanche. Jeez, and God, all, you think your fucking guts being exposed doesn't kill you and then you get killed by the mountain And itself. all these fucking guys believed in God. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> no, there were a couple who didn't. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, there were a couple that were like, I don't buy into that yeah, shit. Yeah, there was a couple of Camus yeah. in the group just going, uh, yes, another example of the purposelessness of life. <laughs> You're like, shut up. Where's Coco? I liked yeah. Coco yeah. when he was doing Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Coco? <laughs> yeah, and Nando also wasn't religious. Like, because when everyone else is like, oh, thank God that we got off this mountain, Nando's like, don't thank God. Thank Nando. Thank <laughs> Nando. <laughs> what would Nando do? <laughs> from your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text and that helps you save time i know i'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse picks now part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts now so what i've done to do is like so while i'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. No. Eight died that night in the avalanche. The last woman to survive. She died in the avalanche. Her husband did survive. Wow. The survivors now counted 19, down 32 from the day they crashed three weeks earlier. And there were still seven weeks to go. Seven weeks. But they don't know that. No. No, We do, though. Now, in the immediate aftermath, the snow in the fuselage was so deep that they only had room to crawl on their hands and knees. And it was still the middle of the night. 
Furthermore, they were so buried that going outside was not an immediate option. The dead that could be reached were stacked in the rear of the plane, which left a small clearing near the cockpit where everyone could try to sleep or at least wait out the night. There, 19 people crammed into a space that usually held four. To make matters worse, they were sleeping on wet snow, and they were surrounded by wet snow. And all of their makeshift blankets, shoes, and cushions, anything they used to help with the cold, was buried at the bottom of the fuselage. Their skin must have been, like, tearing off of their fucking bodies. Man. Oh, yeah, bad. dude. But this is, bad. this is where the cuddling really comes into play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As Nando put it, the packed snow created a thick, muffled silence, like one would expect if they were trapped in a submarine on the ocean floor. That's what I sound. The soundlessness is something that comes up a lot with avalanches. Mm-hmm. They talk about how the snow is a natural sound deafener or whatever, whatever that term is, and... It's sound killer. Sound killer. It's extremely eerily quiet. Mm-hmm. The hours after the avalanche were, in the minds of every survivor, by far the darkest of the 72 days they spent in the Andes. As everyone wept for the dead, a second avalanche came an hour later, much louder than the first. But just as everyone prepared to die, the snow swept over the plane and nobody was killed or even hurt. The problem, though, was that the fuselage was now completely buried in snow. Soon, the survivors began coughing because the avalanche had cut off all the fresh air and everyone inside was slowly suffocating. We hear those sleigh bells jingling, (laughs) jingling, jingling. (laughs) This is where Santa could help. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking fat. But he does nothing. Even Nicole would have (laughs) helped. Thinking fast, Nando grabbed an aluminum cargo pole and started banging it upwards to drive it through the plane's roof. Finally, he felt it give, and the small hole he made above the snow saved everyone's life. Man, these guys owe Nando, like, a Starbucks gift card or something. Like, (laughs) every year. Every year, they should all show up and just give them just something. I mean, everyone did their part. That's the thing. Yeah, sure. Everybody definitely did their part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that's the real difference. That's, again, why they survived. It's group think and people working together. Now, after digging their way through the cockpit, the survivors soon discovered that not only had the fuselage been completely covered, but everyone inside was now trapped in the middle of a blizzard. So, back down to the fuselage they went to wait it out. To bring even the smallest bit of levity during those dark days, and that's days multiple. Multiple days. They celebrated Numa Turkati's 25th birthday by making a cake from snow using a lit cigarette as a candle. By the heat. The saddest Felice Coupiano of all time. It really is. (laughs) Then, so their minds wouldn't completely turn into a terrified mush, they started working on an escape plan for when the blizzard inevitably let up. And that's the strength again, being 21 years old. Just being like, we're going to plan now. We're going to get into this. We're going to plan and move forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, one survivor named Pedro Algorda remembered that the last time he was in Santiago, a taxi driver told him that summertime in the Andes comes like clockwork on November 15th, which was only two weeks away. Always believe a taxi driver. That's the thing. While it may seem insane to bet your entire (laughs) life and the lives of 18 others on the word of a taxi driver, Carolina, my South American wife, informed me that taxi drivers in many South American countries are famous for, at the very least, having a strong opinion about specifically politics, soccer, and the weather. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I met an Uber driver once who told me that Donald Trump 
had time-traveling goggles. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> that he would go into the basement of the White House, and that's why everyone was afraid of him, is he got access to these time-traveling goggles. And they told him what was going to happen in the future. Wow. And you can't have a normal job, sir? And he was just like, <laughs> nope, I'm my own boss. <laughs> How many taxi dri cab drivers like claim to be the guy who gave this tip to... The oh, oh my everyone. God. Every, I was the every one taxi driver in Santiago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It was I. Well, it's actually, it's kind of a joke down there. Like, if you don't know something, ask a taxi driver. Oh, because wow. they're either going to know the answer or they're at the very least going to give you a strong opinion that might point you in the right direction. And so, going off of this taxi driver opinion, the group decided that they would begin their expedition on November 15th, which was technically the first day of summer in the Andes. So he was right. He was. Well, he, he was. He was 100% right. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. He was right about this thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Furthermore, since expeditions to the West had only resulted in failure because of the steepness of the slopes, it was decided that they would follow the valleys east, hoping that those valleys would eventually turn into rivers that would bend around and flow into Chile. Nando, however, wasn't sold on the idea of going east. The way he figured it, the only thing they knew for certain was that Chile was west, Argentina was east, and Chile was a hell of a lot closer, you as far go. as they knew. Key yeah. is, honestly, no one's saying, you gotta go down. Yeah. Well, I mean, down yeah, is down yeah. is understood. Down is where you got to go. But down, so you're but, saying south. <laughs> <laughs> I always have that problem. I'm not good with direction. This is why you okay? would be bad. I have Google Maps. This is why you would be bad because down was east. I'd be dead. East. Yeah, you, you're Coco. I, I'm, I'm Coco. <laughs> All right, I am obviously Coco. Me with a. Smile on my face in a jester's position, frozen in the snow. And I call his lips. And I call his lips. Those were the those were the most entertaining parts of it. Yeah, down was east, and east was bad. Well, additionally, the re other reason why East was bad is that they had no way of knowing how much further into the Andes they'd have to go before the path took them back west to Chile. Yes. If it ever took them back west. No, because they're still... Speaking of which, I have rations for you guys. Yeah? No, wait. Oh, good. They're warm and hot by our... Andes mints. Oh, <laughs> I got two, I got two oh, left. Thank you. This, this is great. Good... I love that they're nice and soft Ooh, from being wow. next to your bosom for hours. They were frozen. <laughs> they are legitimately like... soft. Yeah, the yeah. of your chest. Those are my last two. I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you. Sure, I just just to cut through just the rest a little of the show. Uh, oh, just to make sure we're through. <laughs> well, we'll get to the minty treats of the Andes here in a second. But even though they had a plan, they were still stuck in the fuselage until the blizzard lifted. Spirits lifted a little on the second day. It was Halloween. That was Carlitos Paez's birthday. He got a cigarette cake for turning 19. But on the third day, the hunger set in. Hmm. With no access to fresh water besides dirty snow and no access to their food supply outside, they had to literally dig in to the dead bodies piled at the back of the plane with a piece of glass. The muffled silence of the plane was broken by the sound of the Germans ripping into the flesh of the dead, which was made all the more horrifying because everyone knew exactly who they were eating this time. The chunks of flesh came off soft and greasy, and even those who ate it were barely able to keep it down. You know what? I hate to say this, but Coco tastes a little funny. <laughs> I should have left the jokes to, to Coco. <laughs> I miss him already. I miss him already. Who will be our Jay Leno? <laughs> have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Now, the blizzard ended on November 1st, 
But by the end of their time after the avalanche, the food scraps that had been thrown out of the hole made the entrance to the fuselage look like an ogre's lair. It was scattered with bones, appendages, human waste, chunks of human fat. It was horrifying. I mean, it's bad, but it's cool. It's bad, but yeah. I mean, I I said ogre's lair. I knew you were going to love it. I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... You're enjoying it. I gave myself the huge cock. (laughs) (laughs) You can choose how big your cock is. Yeah, you you can. Yeah, over the house. I'll show you. Yeah, I played as a woman. I gave her an any. Oh, any cock? No, an any vagina. Yeah, because they got out. They they got out vaginas. They got lips out. out, Lips in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys have fun. (laughs) (laughs) You can make your own woman. I'm going to stick with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) The tempers did run high at times. But when the survivors weren't fighting, they would bond by describing what kind of food they'd eat if they were back home, making competitions out of who could come up with the most tasty menu. This is what I do when I watch Great British Bake Off when I have nothing but cereal. Yeah? Like, wouldn't it be nice if we had Napoleons? If we had a Swiss cake roll? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, at first, the power of imagination made them feel better. But the facade came crashing down every time when they were handed their half pound of human flesh and fat. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. They also, as I said, chain smoked. And since cigarettes were in great supply, they even tried making tea out of the tobacco just for a little bit of variety. Then mm-hmm. that, of course, did not work. Like something, sounds like something like Mickey Rourke. Does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Wake up every morning and I have my cup of cigarette tea. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I hate about tea is you can't smoke it. <laughs> and another desperate Hail Mary for variety, some of them would eat toothpaste, which they saw as a minty treat, oh, yeah, almost a dessert. Oh. You have in your Andes chocolates. But toothpaste has milk of magnesia, so most of the people who ate toothpaste would get diarrhea. But honestly, it sounds like that wasn't bad. They kind of needed the movement. Well, speaking of bowel movements, since everyone's diet was raw meat, fat, and melted snow, constipation was a massive issue. This is a big part of their lives now. Like, this idea of, because once you get down to the most simple, like, terms of life, if you can't shit, yeah. It's very bad. And if you, you tear your asshole up there, you're fucked. We'll oh, get yes. to that here in a second. A lot of them were so backed up that they thought their intestines would split open. Some were so desperate that they had a butt digging stick that they used to try and loosen up the works. Which I have heard does work. Digital manipulation is the term. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember seeing that episode uh, where Bobby Brown talked about doing that to Whitney Houston. That's how he got his last name. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) But since these were all young men, they of course made bets on who would shit last. The final three were Carlitos Perez, who went 28 days, Pancho Delgado, who went 32, and finally Bobby Francois, who went an eye-watering 34 days without a bowel move. What did he win? Yeah, I think he won more time on the mountain. (laughs) Interestingly, Bobby Francois was often described as the calmest person on the mountain during the entire ordeal, despite his intense constipation. Because guess what? I can't give a shit literally or figuratively. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the butt digging stick. Yeah. Uh, Did they use it on themselves or would you be like, hey, would you mind? They didn't get that granular. But I would imagine they used it on themselves. I I think you did it yourself. I think a bunch of dudes... I mean, like, let me do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll do it myself. I'll I can't myself. believe they chose not to light it on fire at some point. Light the butt stick on fire? Yeah. Why? Because it's wood. You need. You it's know, not they, like you're cleaning resin out of a bowl. 
<laughs> no, no. He's saying that they lighted, they would rather light it on fire rather than use it as the butt digging stick. Yeah. But I would argue they that had the, plenty butt, of sticks. the butt digging stick was no. They didn't have plenty of sticks no, because were, there's fucking nothing up there. It's just fucking barren wasteland. Yeah, they were oh. they were eating, letting uh, Coca Cola boxes on fire. Yeah. yeah, but that's the thing is that you can either be warm for thirty seconds or you can have a butt digging stick for life. Yeah. Mm. Right. That's an important teach lesson. A, teach a man to for you zoomers, <laughs> you zoomers that are listening. That's an important lesson. Yeah, but if they weren't constipated, they were shitting their brains out, which was a far larger problem for the group as a whole. Yeah, diarrhea is much more dangerous. At one point, Roberto Canessa, who could at times be a difficult man, he didn't want to go outside for a bit of the old splatter works, so he squatted on a blanket. In the fuselage. I'm shitting inside. <laughs> I've done enough today. I, I can see this meltdown clear as day. Because yeah. I can see me doing it. Being like, you planned the fucking expedition. I've been doing this all day. I'm shitting inside. My asshole is cold. Yeah, <laughs> just so I just wrestle them. Because you wrestle them, you get covered in shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you can shit everywhere. Well, this greatly uh, angered everyone inside the fuselage. And matters were made worse... Later that day, when someone absentmindedly picked up the blanket to block some wind, and the runny feces flew in their faces as the blanket flapped. I forgot he shit on the drapes. Yeah, man. <laughs> you ju you're just jealous of the fact that it's coming out of me. <laughs> but bowel problems aside, the preparation for the expedition to civilization continued. Ooh. Backpacks were made by tying off pant legs and threading them with nylon straps. Meat was cut and saved. And human skin socks made from the area around the elbow were fashioned to keep their feet warm. God help me. Now, the skin socks weren't mentioned in either of the autobiographies we read. But I would imagine, considering the great detail they went into with everything else that was horrifying... The human skin socks, I think, were just another piece of the horror show that they just forgot about. I think they so wanted. How did you find out about them? Uh, it was in Alive, but they—I don't oh, think okay. somebody else probably talked about it because yeah, the guys, point. the yeah. guy that wrote Alive, interviewed like a lot of the survivors, while Roberto uh, Canessa and uh, Nando Parado uh, wrote their own books. Oh, it okay. is de definitely the issue is you don't want to. They wanted. They were already hesitant about eating human flesh. The idea of then using their friends, their former friends, as apparel. It's just an also, elbow. Yeah, but I feel that it was a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. To, it's a, it's a lot to think that you know, but fucking. It is your the guys, right part. Your of guys' the body. elbows are on your feet. Yeah, yeah. his yeah. elbows are my socks. Yeah. Which a lot. Is, I think it's fine. You know, it's a stretchy part. Elbows. You know, they you, you oh, pinch just, them. You don't feel it. No I mean, judgment. they did it. Yeah, 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 they definitely did it. But to make matters better, the winter was indeed easing up by mid-November, just as the cab driver had claimed. And the temperatures during sunny days could be sometimes as high as the mid-40s. You know, if that cab driver was right about this, I guess I shouldn't be putting that pussy up on a pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, cab driver, for all your wonderful, wonderful terms. <laughs> Some of the survivors were even forming friendships, like Coche Inciarte. Uh, Inciarti, like Coche. This one's a hard one. Coche, in, because it's hard. I know it's a Spanish name, but it's hard to not say it Italian. Coche Inciarti. Inciarti. Yeah. And Carlos Paez. Coche and Carlitos, they didn't know each other at all prior to the flight. And they didn't even formally introduce themselves to one another until they were on the mountain for three days. Three days? Yeah. Three I mean, days, you're, finally. It's just like, you know what? 
I'm Ed. Well, yeah, the- <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy meeting like this. Yeah. Name's Ed. It rhymes with sled. That's how you remember it. Remember, you know, there's almost 30 people after the first night. You're wandering around. Everyone's sort of like, you know, grouping up with their people. You're yeah. in shock still. And then finally, like, you, hey, what's your name? Yeah. And then you introduce yourself. Wow. Name Shammy Dingles. <laughs> yeah. I'm a roving tambourine comedian and preacher. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I have our first body. <laughs> Goche, however, had been one of the guys who was reticent to eat human flesh. So his immune system at the time of the avalanche was greatly compromised. That was the truth with everyone who refused to eat human flesh. Coche's legs became infected soon after, but Carlitos took care of his new friend and kept him alive until rescue, and even refused to board a rescue helicopter until Coche could come with him. After returning to civilization, Carlito and Coche remained the best of friends until Coche died last July at the age of 75. Was it another avalanche? (laughs) (laughs) No, he died of being 75. Good for him. Yeah. Great, because guess where I would never be going again? anything. I wouldn't even go to a hill. Yeah. I wouldn't go to a, a tall flight of stairs. I would like to think I'd get right back on a plane just to fucking beat that fear out of me. Yeah. I'd like to think so, You're too. You're braver yeah. than me. I don't know, but I'd say I like to think. Who knows? Yeah. From your Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brubble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries, for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But concerning their activities on the mountain, while boredom is de- was definitely an issue, as well as the mounting and ever-present sense of dread, the survivors had set up daily routines and schedules, not only to help them survive, but to help them from losing their minds. That's where all of the jobs came into handy. Yes. Yeah, it's like, you're going to do the water, like, not only because we need water, but we need you to not just sit there and think about how fucked you are. Yeah, just do something. Do yeah. something to push us forward. Now, when it came to the expedition... It was decided that it would be Nando, Roberto, Antonio Vizentin, a.k.a. Tintin. Oh, cool name. Yeah. And Adolfo Strauss. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I should definitely be bored. Adolfo Strauss with you. <laughs> but just as they added Tintin to the group, Adolfo was struck with a case of hemorrhoids so severe that he bled down his legs and couldn't walk without being in utter agony. Oh, this- my hate berries have burst. <laughs> oh, no, my fucking eggs have taken their form. <laughs> the bratwurst are coming out to oh, me. <laughs> I'm making jam again. <laughs> and so Adolfo was replaced with Numa Turcotti. Yay! But Numa had to drop out as well when someone trying to make their way across the dark fuselage stepped on Numa's calf and created a deep bruise. My calf! <laughs> hey, man, that shit 
was serious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, apparently, New is very fucking bad. Numa's legs soon became septic because he was another one of the survivors who could only stomach a few scraps of flesh at a time. I just want to dance my way across the world. Not going to happen. Because of his squeamishness, he would die an agonizing death almost a month later, just 11 days before rescue. Numa died? Numa died. To have them remember me by my song. (laughs) (laughs) Now, within an hour of their first serious expedition to get help, a blizzard drove them back to the fuselage, the worst they'd had in weeks. Their timing was actually lucky that day because if they'd left a few hours earlier, all three would have died. But when they set out again on November 17th, on a calm, clear day, they found the remains of the airplane's tail after just two hours of walking. There, they found socks, sweaters, warm pants, rum, chocolate, empanadas, sandwiches, more cigarettes, and a camera. But on a very human level, the most important find for them was the clean clothes. Oh, I bet. Something Uh. that didn't have blood and shit and sweat and human grease all over it. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that when you're burning the human fat, like if you are cooking it, that grease fire is also going to get all over your clothes. We talked about this back in the day during the uh, the Black Plague series about the idea of like when you burn something, they used to use pure animal fat candles. Like one of the hardest parts of being inside of a medieval home was the layer of fat and grease that would sort of cake the top of your home. Yeah. Oh, you're burning which the was, candle. Which was also extraordinarily flammable. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Rock and roll. Now, these guys, they all got dibs, right? Oh, yeah, they got dibs. They definitely got dibs. <laughs> yeah, no. these got dibs. Oh, they got dibs. They they hooked up a light fixture to some batteries. They got light after sunset for the first time. They spent the night reading magazines and comic books. They ate the empanadas. Yeah, yeah, like, they, yeah. we did this. Yeah, they ate the empanadas. They The sandwiches were a little moldy, but they just, you know, took a little mold off the sandwiches. Yeah. They definitely got dibs. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning, Nando took photos of Roberto and Tintin, hoping that if they didn't survive, maybe someone would at least find proof someday that they had survived the crash. This at least will make someone feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, they that camera was used to take a ton. They took a ton of photos. I've seen them. They're the fucking mountain. haunting. Yeah, you know, they're absolutely. Because sometimes you'd see them like smiling. Yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all smiling. But then you'll see like off in the corner, like a fucking human spinal column. Like yeah, just dude. sitting there. But I think there's, there again, there's about saving humanity. Yeah. And this is a part of what helps save some of their humanity is taking pictures, taking these little human moments. Yes. After the photo shoot, the three expeditioners continued on. But that night, without shelter, it became obvious that they would not survive another without a better plan. See, they'd noticed that there had been some batteries back at the tail. Very huge batteries that were, you know, of course, attached to the airplane. So they figured they could drag them back to the fuselage to hook it up to the Fairchild's two-way radio in the cockpit. Now, Roberto Canessa pushed for this plan specifically because by this time, it was becoming more and more likely that they would have to go west. And even if the radio didn't work, Futzen with it would put the expedition further into summer and slow down Nando, who always wanted to go no matter what. By Roberto's thinking, summer meant longer days and less chances of blizzards because they had only one chance yeah. to go west. There's one shot. Yeah. Yes, and, to do this. Because if they don't get they don't make it, everybody's fucking dead. Yep. And failure meant the deaths of everyone. Additionally, Roberto was he was aware that the meat was going to spoil when the temperature rose. But That just meant that the expedition had to be planned just right. In other words, as Carolina pointed out to me during the 
massive amount of help she gave during this series. Yeah, they did a lot of work. Yeah. I read her translated work that she did. It was all great. It's yeah, so great. Carrie, great yeah, day. and she helped so much to like pick out like the human moments, read the Spanish versions of Roberto and Nando's book to like give us like this context some color, that we yeah. wouldn't have some color. But the way she put it, Roberto Canessa was the brain while Nando Parado was the heart. It's sort of like Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook from Joy Division, the brain and the heart. And you can hear all about that on our Joy Division series on No Dogs in Space, where you can hear more of Carolina's incredible research skills. Good plug. Thank you. It's my favorite series that we've ever done. It's incredible. If you're going to start somewhere, start with Joy Division. But concerning the radio plan, the batteries were massive. And any attempt to even place them on a sled caused the batteries to sink deep into the snow. So they decided to bring Roy Harley back to the plane's tail with the Fairchild's radio, hoping they could hook it all together to call for help. Now, this decision to bring Roy was part of a sort of philosophy that Roberto had come up with called the Society of the Snow. Interesting. It's the name of the new Netflix movie. That's why they call it the Society of the Snow. Yeah. Basically, if anyone had any experience in anything back in civilization, they were now the best in the world at that particular thing. I've Robert- got to be. Yeah, yeah. You're my guy now. Yeah. You're the fucking guy. You, the- we had two med students who were our doctors. Yeah, for example, Roberto and Gustavo, before they were first and second year med students. Now, we're doctors. You're doctors. Like, yes. We're just, we're fucking doctors. That's it. Canessa had also gone camping a couple times with his girlfriend, so he's the survival expert. Yeah, I know everything about, you know, how to make sure you're, she doesn't get too hungry and you get into a fight. <laughs> Fuck, that would have made me the cook. Yeah, yeah. you would have been the cook. Yeah, you would have been oh, the yeah, cook. Buddy. Absolutely. You would have been the butcher. You wow. absolutely would have been the butcher. It's kind of like, fun. The expeditioners, the people who would go out, they were essentially like the warrior class. Yeah. They got the best jobs. They got the best food. They got the best sleeping positions because they needed them as strong as they could possibly be. And I'm the bard. (laughs) (laughs) No. Up on this mountain so very, very high, we all will wish our families goodbye. (laughs) And while you are the bard, I shall be the chronicler. I shall shall chronicle our story from beginning to end. So you guys are useless. Yeah. You guys are not helping anything. I used to work at Borders. (laughs) I worked at Borders. A a literary shop. Oh, wait until you see the royalties from the film adaptation, sir. And then we shall talk about who is useless. I'm playing the long game. I was in a little film done by the college humor people where I made out with Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny. So I am the romance investigator. (laughs) And I make sure people are in love. All right, hold this foot while I cut through this tendon. Yeah. And since Roy Harley was a first year engineering student and he'd once helped set up his cousin's stereo, he was now the engineer. And remember, Roy was fucking 18. The return of the expeditioners, however, was a crushing blow to those back at the fuselage. They'd hoped that the expedition would have reached civilization by that point. Because remember, from what everyone thought, like, we're on the western foothills of the Andes, you're going to climb up a mountain and you're going to see fucking green valleys on the other side. It's going to be right there. And to make matters worse, Rafael Echeverin, who said every morning that the mountain would not take him, he was taken by the mountain. Yeah. But while they were gathering strength for another expedition, they had to spend days digging up more bodies. But since the days were getting warmer, they, in essence, had to make refrigerators to keep the bodies from rotting. They also had to start eating the pieces of the body they'd previously thrown away, like the hands, the feet, the tongues, the testicles, the eyes. lungs, yeah. the eyes, anything in the head. And brains are bad, too. You shouldn't be eating the brains. You shouldn't be eating brains. Sweetbreads? 
Uh, they use the brains. We as... don't have sweet. Oh well, yeah, we, it's our. It's the what's this putts? It's the what is the gland? The sweetbreads are the. Is this notes? really vital information to stop the show so you can Google it? Mm, God, it looks it's good. Be lymph nodes. Pancreas. <laughs> Pancreas. <laughs> you were holding with that. You were looking mm. at your armpit. I love sweetbreads. I know you love sweetbreads, but they use the brains to make a stew sauce. For bowls, some use plates made from aluminum foil. Others just use the top halves of the skulls. Jesus Christ. And bones were used as spoons. God. Eventually, they. Keenware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever works, man. Yeah, Geenware, not for sale at Macy's. Eventually, <laughs> they even got to the point where they were cracking bones for the marrow contained within. But even through it all, everyone kept their promise to not eat the bodies of Nando's mother and sister, if only to hold on to some thin thread of civilization past pure instinctual survival. Now, the problem with the plan to bring the radio to the tail of the plane was that when they pulled the radio out of the cockpit, there were something like 60 wires sticking out of the back. It seemed to be complicated. I imagine it would be complicated. Likewise, the battery also had 60 or 70 wires sticking out the back. Therefore, attempts to connect the two just resulted in a lot of flashes, sizzles, and electrical pops. And Roy's stereo installation experience wasn't doing a hell of a lot of good. Yeah. For five days, they tried getting the radio working. And this is another one of those human moments. Like, they had one guy standing out with, like, a big piece of aluminum attached to the stereo. Like, there's static, and and they're like... Move to the left. Oh, yeah. yeah. Move getting, to, yeah, yeah. Your other left. Yeah, Fox viewing positions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like they were an aerial on an old TV. We used yeah. to have to do that. I remember finding the antenna. I remember my dad had fucking around with a thing on the roof. Yeah, it was that same shit. Finally, though, they did pick up radio transmissions, even though they couldn't transmit anything out. At that point, they heard the seemingly good news that a second rescue attempt was about to be undertaken by the Uruguayan Air Force at the encouragement of the survivors' families. This, of course, was tempered by Gustavo's earlier observation that even with their suitcase cross, their sight was an impossibly small blip in the snow from even a couple hundred yards away. In his rage, Roy stomped the radio to pieces and they returned to the fuselage and yet another horrible blizzard which nearly killed them all. And that's where the 18-year-old thing also kicks in, where you don't stomp the fucking radio to pieces when well, you got when you got one. Well, they still had the transistor radio back yeah. at the plane, which Roy had set up too. Like Roy yeah, did, yeah, so he they, did figure that yeah, out. Yeah, he figured that out. So they still had it back at the the thing. So this radio was basically like, I mean, it was a backup, but you know, what else are you gonna do besides just listen to music I, sometimes? I'm so yeah. mad when I try to do like anything technical. That's why yeah. I so don't I do it. it. Yeah. I, I break yeah. shit all the time. You know, he's probably fingers are bleeding. Oh, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's frozen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, the fucking electrical pops have been happening in his face all fucking day long. Yeah, man. And Roberto's sitting there like yelling at Roy because Roy's like getting discouraged. And he's like, fuck. And because it's five days. Yeah, he's yeah. like, get your fucking shit together. And yeah, it's he like, is. you're also an electronic device surrounded by water. Yeah. Also, day three, maybe someone else take a look at it. Maybe someone else can look at this, right? <laughs> but then, then you get mad as fucking, you get mad being like, no, no, no. You, I'm the engineer. I just couldn't sit there for five days without being, all right, let me take a look. There's a problem again. It's why we aren't there. (laughs) Now, after being away from the fuselage for just a few days, Nando could finally take in just how grim the scene at the crash site really was. Got some perspective. Piles of human bones were scattered outside the shelter. Someone's forearm and a human leg from hip to toes was just laying near the fuselage for easy access. Strips of fat were drying on the roof. And for the first time, 
Nando saw human skulls in the bone pile. Pick clean. Honestly, it's getting kind of dark in here. Yeah, it's getting a little dark. All right. I think that we all should watch Jimmy Fallon tonight. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We listen to the transistor radio and like we should smile. Why don't we grab two bones? Little click clack on the oh side God, of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now we're going. All right, now bang those, cl- those skulls together. And they're all go, man. It's incredible. Now they got Blue Man Group. Yep. Yep. Make- Literally. Yeah. Because they're so cold. Yeah. <laughs> to make matters worse, two condors appeared in the sky above them. But while you might think, hey, there's food up there that's not people, these people were not strong enough to even fight off. These gigantic birds, much less kill them. Mm. And they lived in fear of the scavengers carrying off the last bits of their meat. Goddamn birds. These birds. These birds. Give uh, them the bones. Yeah, you can give them the bones. No, but they, then you're getting them, then they're getting you're getting them used to you. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Now, since East had been a bust, Nando finally convinced everyone that even though the slope was steep, West was the way to go. And so they began preparations for the final expedition in the first weeks of December. Now, even though the days were getting hot enough to burn the skin and the lips of anyone hanging around outside, the nights were still cold enough to kill anyone who dared venture out. But in an extraordinary stroke of luck, Nando had found his mother's purse during his trip to the tail. And inside that purse... Money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, look at all of this money. Great. Incredible. bucks. Wow. Sewing kit. Oh, there was a sewing kit inside. So Carlitos Paez, using skills his mother had taught him when he was a boy, he got to work sewing together patches of airplane insulation that they'd been stuffing into their clothes. This created a three-person sleeping bag. Whoa. And he taught others how to sew to quicken the pace. These guys should have worked in like a merch area. Like, you know, they really figured out a lot of stuff at once. They really did. Roberto, however, still wanted to wait because the last blizzard they'd endured on their way back from the tail made him apprehensive of going back out into the wilderness. The brains. The brains, yes. Yes. Roberto is yeah, the brains. Yeah, he's the, the, brain. he's yeah. the brains, yeah. yeah. And that's even if the days were getting warmer. It's like, yeah, the days are getting warmer, but we're in the Andes. Yeah. He was also somewhat banking on a miracle from a second rescue expedition. But this is where his del- he knew how difficult it was going to be. Somewhere down inside of him, he knew that yeah. getting off this mountain is going to suck. Yeah. It's going to suck. It's going to be awful. Nando was just so full of belief that he was ready to go. Like, he really was like, no, we'll do it because, again, I'll die out there. And then Roberto's like, I don't think you understand how bad it's going to be to die out there. Yeah. Like, it's bad. This is bad. Yeah. Out there, it's going to be worse. But Nando pushed back by saying that the warmer it was, the more likely infection was going to take them all. Yep. Not to mention the rapidly spoiling meat. And as far as the rescue mission went, They were not searching for survivors. They were looking for bodies, and they were not going to be in any rush to do so. No, because that's just sad. Yeah. And so Nando drew a line in the sand, or in the snow, as it were, and said that he was leaving on December 12th, with or without Roberto. What finally got Roberto to say yes was when Numa died of his infection on the 11th. And so the next day, Nando, age 23, Tintin, age 19, and Roberto, also age 19, Ooh. ventured west to find salvation. And that is where we'll pick back up for our conclusion to survival in the Andes. Now, if you wonder if there's enough, because in the movie, Alive, they just cut to the end. 
It's, it's really weird how they do that. They yeah. really do. Because, and that's what I thought. I was like, when we were getting to this part of this, even when we were researching and talking about the the episodes, I just be like, oh yeah, and then it's over. You know, they get off the mountain, and they're like, oh no, there is a full Hobbit-like trip. Yes, from the top of that mountain mm-hmm. to the bottom of it, where it is just as brutal as everything else that has happened so far. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna flesh it out. Ooh, mm. can I ask a question real quick about Numa? Mm-hmm. He died of infection. Does that mean they can't eat him? Yeah, um, I would not eat him. I wouldn't. I would imagine you could eat around the infection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't eat the calf, but eat the bicep. You know, I couldn't. I could not answer your question for sure. What's our What's our email? Side stories lpotl at gmail Can you eat a body that has died of infection? I imagine that you cannot. But yeah. I imagine you know. I'd imagine it's a bad idea. Yeah. You but can, lot, again, suck on it for the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a lot of people were dying from infection. So yeah. I think they did. They figured it out. Yeah. Life finds a way. Uh, so speaking of that, bye. Operation Sunshine, number three. It's out there. Go to your local comic book store. Watch me and How to Ruin the Holidays. It's on Amazon. You go there. Go How to Ruin the Holidays. I'm in it. Support me. Support independent film. In an era where independent film will become king once yeah. again. Funnily, funnily enough, um, the uh, How to Ruin the Holidays uh, is watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you listen to his You've review. You've been keeping that in your back pocket. Don't I you listen you to his review. Now. He doesn't know. He's jealous. He's jealous of what I've done. He's jealous of, of this. <laughs> if you want to hear jokes like that, you can check me out January 4th at the Ontario Improv in Ontario, California with Jermaine Fowler. I'd love to see you there. It's going to be great. And I'm going to be at the Galaxy Con in Raleigh, North Carolina. Cool. I'm going to be here. <laughs> Good Join for you, buddy. Right. Yeah. Hail Satan. Hail Marcus. Oh, wow. see? He's I nice. told you it was coming. Thank you. And Hail Gein. You know, <laughs> yeah. read the book if you want it to explain to you. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'll watch Psycho again. <laughs> <laughs> Hail me, <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.